All around us are people who've struggled and succeeded. Now they're changing their lives and the world around them in their own unique ways. Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies bring you these stories and more from the people who make things happen. This is Success Insight. Welcome to Success Insight. I am Randy Ford. Our guest today is John Bentley from Power to Transform Consulting Group. And John, you are a leadership coach, a teacher, trainer, Air Force veteran. You have done a little bit of everything. Talk to us first of all about what is Power to Transform. Yes, sir, Randy. Thanks so much for hosting today. And I I primarily work with, with healthcare leaders. And what I've discovered is just like any other industry, they get promoted for being technical experts. But you also have physicians who've had years and years of school, but never get leadership training. They're expected to take a leadership role today, operationally in a lot of their their healthcare institutions. So what I help them do is learn how to develop behaviors that build trust, that maximize their influence so they can achieve better results faster through and with others. And here's why that's important. Today in the healthcare industry, there's tense financial pressures just to keep the doors open. Also, there's constant change. It's never ending with the rules and regulations changing. There's also a shortage of qualified staff. And then finally, their clinical outcomes are scrutinized. So the ability for them to be able to lead themselves and influence others to effectively manage those pressures is so critical. And that's what I focus on is helping them lead themselves. Give us an example. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll tell a story about me. Please. And it has to do with my 10th year in the Air Force, April 9th, 1992. I'd signed paperwork to leave the Air Force because we were reducing the size of the force after Desert Storm. And get this now, they were going to pay me $25,000. And, you know, it solved this 31-year-old, all his problems. Every one of his problems would be solved. What I'm not telling you is the reason I was leaving is they weren't promoting me fast enough. So I signed the paperwork and I walked out of our commander's office, which to our listening audience, that would be the HR office. And the most respected individual, 1,200-person organization, pulled me aside and said, hey, John, I need to share a life lesson with you because you're leaving the Air Force in December, never to return again. And he shook a Coke can very, very hard and handed it to me and said, open it. But you can imagine, I said, nope, ain't opening that, sir. Ain't opening that. He said, why not? Well, it's on you and me, and it's going to be sticky and nasty. And he took that Coke can and he set it down. And he got truthful and kind. And I really want people to listen to this piece. It wasn't truthful or kind. It was truthful and kind. See, if you're just truthful with people, you tell them whatever you want to think and you don't care how they feel. It's about you being right, you winning. Or if you're just kind, you tend to skirt the issue because you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings or you don't want your feelings to be hurt. But he did it in a truthful, kind way. And he said, John, that's what you do. You're like a Coke can when things don't go your right, that someone shakes up, they pop the top and you spew all over them. John, you have all the talent in the world, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Talent will get you nowhere until you learn to lead yourself. And if you don't learn to lead yourself, you never earn the right to lead others. And here's what happens, John. You're going to struggle. I was struggling. You're going to be frustrated. Oh, was I frustrated. And finally, you're going to limit your opportunities for success. So that day, I made a decision to determine why I behaved the way I did. Now, let the story continue just a little bit. 30 days later, guess whose name showed up on the promotion list? My name. Well, I had Plum disease, as Zig Ziglar would tell us. Poor little old me. Sure, you're going to promote me now. Well, I was fortunate. About 30 days later, 
they, they sent out a document that basically said if your name was on the promotion list, you could withdraw the paperwork and stay in the Air Force. So I didn't stay in because of the promotion. I did it because someone saw in me things I could do better and cared about me enough to tell me that. So what I've discovered is that through that time frame, what happened was in pressure situations, I'd either become a controlling parent and try to force my way on others, force them to do my way, or I would become a defensive child and pout, hoping people would let me have my way. So see, in both those cases, I felt threatened, but I didn't know how to behave. And, and during that time frame, as I was starting to think about why I behaved that way and staying in the Air Force and Chief Master Sergeant White working with me, what I discovered is I grew up thinking I had to do everything myself. It had to be perfect and don't trust anyone else. And you can imagine if that's the mindset I had, how I interacted and related with others wasn't pretty at all. I wonder what your um, life trajectory would have been if he had not taken that minute to do that illustration and uh, share that with you. Here's what I believe would have happened. I, I was a hard worker. I grew up knowing, knowing how to work. Since six years old, we had a five-acre garden. My dad was a truck driver. He's gone five days a week. So my brother and I had to maintain that garden in that yard. And this, this was in Georgia? In Georgia, absolutely, back home. And what would have happened? I would have ended up working probably in what we call the trailer or mobile home factory. So I'd have been, you know, that eight to five, nine to five, or, or I would have probably learned to drive a truck because that's what my dad did. And, and you know, all of those are, are good professions. However, what I believe would have happened, it'd be like me being in a jar. I would have been capped at a certain level. And I do not believe I would have been happy because my talents that he saw in me would have been squashed. And I, I think that's the important thing with people is helping them take their potential, transform it into high performance that yields a desired payoff. And you see, payoff could be anything. You get to define what payoff is. And, you know, for me today, now it's just helping people learn how to accept and love themselves so they can accept and love others. Because when I see value in you and I show you mutual respect, now we can sit down and have a discussion about mutual purpose. Where are we moving this organization to? And let's focus on then how to get there once we agree on where we're going. That way, people have the opportunity to fully invest their talents in helping move the organizational fo forward. I bet another way things would have been different is you would not be as afraid of Coke cans as you might be now. That is a great point. I want to get back to this idea of truthful and kind, the, the relationship between those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, because that sounds like something that you took away from that moment as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that I'd never had that I could remember, and, and I'm sure because I respected the gentleman so much, that I could remember that someone said something to me that I could have taken as harsh, as derogatory, or I'm not good enough. Because I think that's another thing I, I grew up believing, even though uh, my dad just wanted me to always do my best. As a young kid growing up, you know, emotionally, we don't know how to process that because we're not emotionally mature. And so I, I took a lot of things as I'm not good enough, no matter how hard I try. And, and I probably would have walked away from that if I didn't respect him as an individual. So that goes back to that mutual respect. I mean, you're a human being. And if I can't see you as a human being, someone that has value, someone that brings talents and strengths to the table and draw those out of you, if I can't speak into your listing in a way that makes sense to you, then I'm not going to be, and I'm, I'm putting my hands together now, clasping like with you, Versus now I'm bumping my fist together at you. And I see a lot of at going on in organizations today because people simply do not 
understand how to lead themselves. You started Power to Transform 2003 and have been working with healthcare uh, and the healthcare industry throughout that time. What changes have you seen organizationally and um, at the individual level? Because it's not an easy industry to work in, especially these days. Yeah, a, a lot today. And I'll go back to Peter Drucker. I believe it was 1995. I'd have to look it up. He started talking about the knowledge worker age where now as individuals, we're more responsible for managing ourselves because a lot of the work we accomplish is how we think about the work and how we interact and relate with people, especially, you know, in the healthcare industry with patients and physicians and nurses and also the support staff that help make a lot of things happen. And just being able to collaborate with others, to show respect, to work as a team is more critical than ever before. With the short staff, can you imagine having to see more patients? Can you imagine having timelines that seem to get shorter and shorter and the pressures are on you, but you don't know how to deal or or handle that and the impact it can have on not only the patient experience because their perceptions of how you're behaving and acting, but also the perceptions and the stress it causes amongst teammates between leaders and employees. So, So as we continue to evolve and get faster and faster, but also we have those tighter constraints with money and less reimbursables. If I can't deal with that stress, I'm going to be less and less effective. So turnover goes up, sick days with people not coming into work increases, and it just has a snowball effect, almost like a downward spiral of like, I'm never, ever going to catch up. And that's what I see going on with people either going into what I call a parent ego state where I'm going to force people to do it, or I'm going to just do all the work myself because they're not listening versus a defensive child because I'm not getting my way ego state or a helpless child ego state. You see those ego states are based on past experiences. As a child, I I got my way through, uh, through my emotions. How I felt is how I behaved, but that adult ego state is formed on how I view my parents and other authority figures treating me. They're the first leaders we see. But when I can start understanding my tendencies in those two extremes and then recognize what causes that, now I can do something about it. And that's what I learned to do. That's exactly what I learned to do. If you're working with an organization and you are in a room with some healthcare providers or the support staff or others you mentioned, uh, and and you see that they're facing these issues that, that you know are there, what is that moment that makes you think, oh, wow, this is, this is now going to get better. Like they are figuring out a way to, to get past this. And I feel, I feel like we've done something here. Well, for me, it's validating who they are and listening to them. I, in the classroom, I'm, I'm really on with looking at nonverbal behaviors and paying attention to tone of voice, because if, if I can see that, what, whether that change or there's a shift in their behavior, or I can see to where they're just frustrated. And a lot of times when there's activities going on in the classroom, group activities, I'll notice one or two people that I want to go over and have a little bit of an individual conversation with just to let them know that I understand them and validate them as a person. See, when that happens, whether that's in the classroom or you're a leader, once somebody feels understood and valued, now you're with them and you've earned the right to speak into their listening because they know you get them whether you agree with them or not. Is that something that you... Uh, find that you carry into your your daily life as well this kind of kindness toward other people that that maybe isn't inherent in everyone 
I think I'm wired that way. Yeah. Part of it too was a, as a, I had two people that I, that I really focused on growing up. My dad was my hero. And then my grandmother, my grandmother loved everyone. I never, ever heard her say anything bad about anyone, even though when I thought she had the right to do so, because I could find fault very easily, very easily for me to become critical when I get triggered. Not her though, not her. She always found the best and value in everyone. And you know, this is a woman who had maybe a first or second grade education, if that, had nine children, but she knew the value of treating each person in a way that they wanted to be treated. So, you know, the golden rule is, is treat others the way you want to be treated. She, she had a rule of how do you want to be treated? I'm going to love you that way. Wow. That's powerful. And, and your father, but I'll share a little bit about my father. Cause as I went forward, my dad and I had a great conversation. He's passed away now going on eight years, but I discovered when he was two and a half years of age, 1933, his mother died giving childbirth to the seventh child. Oh, wow. So now six months later, so he's, he's about three now, his dad remarries and his dad and his second wife have six or seven daughters almost as fast as you can have them. So you imagine from three years age to that second mom taking care of those children, I don't believe my dad got the nurturing or the love or the care that he needed Therefore, what he learned to do was work and survive and take care of himself. And all he wanted was for me to understand that, is that it was about always do your best, take care of you. And I think that's what got passed down to me of do everything yourself, be perfect, don't trust others. And, and I think it's just a simple process of it's not psychology, it's not therapy. Hey, what, why is it you get triggered when something happens? A great question. And my grandmother used to ask me this all the time. Where did you learn that behavior? So when I would act rude, I would act bad. Where did you learn that behavior? And it kind of stops you. And I'll use that sometimes in my coaching as well. Just ask someone in a truthful, kind way. Hey, here's what the feedback from the 360 says. I notice you're getting a little tense or maybe agitated. That's my assumption. You'll have to tell me if that's true. And if they agree with me, I'll just say, well, stop for a minute. Where did you learn that behavior? And when they can recognize where they learned it, now they can make a decision to do something about it. You mentioned parenting. Um, and I assume that a lot of these same, same lessons apply. Yeah, I've got two biological daughters and, and grandchildren. And then I was fortunate to, to marry a young lady that had three children. And you can imagine going through a divorce, how sometimes you, at least for me, again, the story I was telling myself was, uh, you know, I'm not lovable. I don't know if I can love again. Well, the one thing she taught me was that's not true. Now I'll also share with you that I, you know, I came again from a father who was very disciplined and my beautiful wife, Laura was on the other scale. So I, I had to learn quickly that my role in this family was not to be the disciplinarian. My role was to be an example to work and to love the children, which it took me time to learn to do that because I'm overcoming some scars from a divorce. The one lesson that I'll never forget, and my son Mike was six years old. We were at the YMCA and he was playing basketball for the first time and it was their final practice. So I'm going through my head, wow, I wonder what type of influence I'm having on Michael and then Kelly and Jennifer, the two older daughters. You know, I'm sitting there kind of with my head down a little bit after the basketball practice in the bleachers. 
And I'll never forget Mike walking up to me and he held out a t-shirt and on the front of it, basketball with Millbrook YMCA. And he handed it to me, but before he handed it to me, he turned the t-shirt around. Guess what was written on the back of it? Right. Mike's dad. See, as leaders, sometimes we wonder, are we having an influence? And I'll share with you that when you're doing your best, when you're understanding other people and know that they're there to support you and you're there to serve them, that there's nothing you can't get through no matter how tough it is. So recognize that there's a lot of things you're doing right. And one of the things I do in coaching and and a lot of other, I, I was taught this, there's three questions that I like to ask when it's performance report time. And I prefer to do it quarterly and that's bring each employee in. I've already set them up for success. First question I'm going to ask is what do you want me to stop doing that may be causing harm for you and the team? Write it down. What do you want me to start doing that may be helpful for you and the team? I write it down. And then the third question is, What do you want me to continue doing that's helping you and the team? You see, now I'm asking them for feedback. And then when I collect that data, I look for commonalities. And then I present to the whole team. Here's what you told me. Here's a commonality on what you want me to stop. I have too many ideas and you don't have time to implement them. That's the one I want to focus on this next quarter. You okay with that? Write it down. Here's one you want me to start. You really want me when you come into my office to... And this is what I've learned to do. I I turn off my monitors to my computer after I close the email because I don't want the little dinger to go off or the notification to go off or pop up in the bottom. And I also unplug my office phone and put my cell phone on silent. Now, that's me letting them know what they asked me to do, that they're the most important person at that moment. And then to continue the behavior, there's, there's a lot of different answers for that. But I've learned just spending two or three minutes with each employee on a quarterly basis, asking those questions, let them know that I'm there for them and they matter and they care. When you see um, a manager use that same approach in an organization you're working with, um, what is that like when you, when you see how successful that is? The, the one, one thing that, that I'll share with you when, when I work with a group of leaders at, at, a, at a local hospital, they were going through a, a huge process and they thought the process needed to be changed, but they weren't involving the workers day to day. So, and I'll say going in and listing in this case is that what they discovered was the process was fine. It was the handoff of the nursing home patient. Cause what, what, what one leader discovered is that the employees believe she wanted them to make all the decisions that she wasn't giving input to decision-making and they felt like she did not want to be accountable if something did not go right. So when she asked that question and understood that, that the conversation went to, well, I wanted y'all's input. And they said, we got that. We want to give you our input. However, we want your input as well. And then us make a collective decision. But if we can't make a collective decision, our expectation is you being our leader, you would make it. And then our goal is to get on board and help execute that. So one of the issues that, that they helped resolve was they were trying to, to, they were going to lose a couple of FTEs, but that meant, and that's full-time employees, that meant that the process needed to change 
And what they ended up doing was improving a process that saved $49,000, not just one year, but every year. So it came to the listener, listener or the leader, it came to the leader being present, not just showing up and asking for input and walking away. And that must, must make all of this feel like you're having an impact on people who are impacting patients. Well, I, one of the top competencies that the Center for Creative Leadership identifies today that's required is participative management. Well, that requires participation not only on the leader's part, but the employees. So that means it's a us versus them mentality. And I think that's a big shift for a lot of leaders because I'm in charge. I'm responsible. I'm the one that needs to do everything or I go right the opposite. Sometimes I want my employees to do everything. And if, if that's the case, then it's not no longer participative. It's, it, it becomes, again, we're at each other. Everybody who comes on the Success Insight podcast, we ask uh, them to make, make a recommendation to us as the audience, something maybe that we, we don't know about. And it could be anything. What is something that you would want to introduce us to? I'll introduce you to a book and I'll pull out one of my favorite portions of it, if that's okay. Please. It's Leadership is an Art, Max Dupree. He, he was the CEO of a furniture company and throughout his tenure, they were ranked number four in overall quality in any industry, but in the furniture industry, they were ranked number one for hundreds of years. I shouldn't say hundred, quite a few years. When I read the book, it was all about helping people give their best. And the one thing that stood out to me that was an eye opener for me is Max stated that the moment as a leader, you recognize how much you need others is the very moment you can choose to abandon yourself to their strengths. That's something that you've, you've held on to. It sounds like. Here's what I've come to believe is that a lot of people say that you don't need to, to like, I don't want people to like me as a leader. I, I totally disagree with that. They don't know me, like me and trust me. They're not going to allow me to lead them. They, they may do two or three things that I ask them, but they're not going to be innovative. They're not going to go above and beyond. And they may even make decisions that they think are better than my own that may move the company or our organization in a direction it doesn't need to go. It's not that I'm doing things for people to get them to like me. I'm just understanding who they are, what makes them tick, what they care about, because here's what I know. Randy, if I learn one story about you, something that's very important to you, and we have discussions around that story that has nothing to do with work, that you know I'm starting to care about you as a person. I feel like there's so much uh, that we can still talk about. So I hope, I hope you'll come back on the podcast sometime and, and we can talk more. For, for now, how can people find you? Yeah, the easiest way is, of course, through the web, www.power, that's P as in Paul, O-W-E-R, the number two, transform.com. Thank you so much, John Bentley in uh, Hartzell, Alabama, the leadership coach, teacher, trainer, Air Force veteran, uh, Power to Transform Consulting Group. Thanks again for being here, and uh, I, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, thanks, Randy. Appreciate a great interview. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies.